The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. We're about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Welcome to another edition of A Current Life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould. And I'm very excited to introduce to you my good friend and special guest this week, Oscar Robertson, known to his adoring fans as the Big O. Oscar, welcome to A Current Life. Thank you, Jimmy. Good, glad to be with you. Well, I'd like to give a brief introduction for those few listeners that maybe are not as familiar with the history of basketball and the incredible contribution you've made to it. Oscar Robertson is a basketball legend. He has dominated the court on every level, high school, college, the Olympics, and also the NBA. Being the first big point guard at six foot five, 220 pounds, he could score from anywhere on the court. He could pass, rebound, and play defense. Oscar paved the way and set the bar for players like Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron James. He was nicknamed the Big O, and he was awarded the title of Player of the Century. Aside from his monumental success and triumph on the court, he has made a name for himself off the court as a humanitarian, social activist, businessman, mentor, teacher, and labor leader. Oscar, it's a distinct pleasure to have you and an honor. I've known you for a very, very long time, for decades, and you've been a great inspiration to me. Welcome to A Current Life. Thank you. What I want to do in this show is really start with the early years. Uh, our team, and particularly me, have read everything and looked at everything on your life. Uh, I've enjoyed immensely and recommend to everybody uh, your book, uh, The Big O, My Life, My Times, and My Game, which I thoroughly enjoyed reading on your life. And, um, and I uh, feel that uh, I learned a great deal about so many things you went through growing up and 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 so I want to talk a lot about the early years. Uh, tell me a little bit of what it was like growing up on a farm in Charlotte, Tennessee, and then at four moving to Indianapolis to a rural area. What was life like for you? Well, it was happy life, Jimmy. Simple life. I uh, didn't know any other life. I was just happy to be around my parents and my grandparents. Uh, and, you know, just growing up, I mean, you, you didn't care for anything. Uh, a very, very religious background. Uh, you, you had everything you needed. You had family, you had, you had your religion, and, and you had a lot of work. But at four, I moved to the city of Indianapolis because my father said he realized that, that I couldn't get an education in Tennessee other than the eighth grade. <clears throat> so, therefore, he moved up to Indianapolis to be with my an aunt and some cousins there, where he started working, and naturally I started in high school and on my way to Christmas Addicts High School. Well, you know, as you as you grew up, you know, uh, really more uh, in the rural area when you were young and then moving to Indianapolis, 
I assume that, uh, you know, life wasn't easy for your family. I know that, you know, a lot of this has been written about some of the difficult times you went through as a, ch- as a child. And, and particularly in your autobiography, you talk about as a child that you actually pretended that there was a hoop set up on a tree near your home. <laughs> <laughs> and that you didn't have the money for a real ball, so you used a dinghy rag ball held together by elastic or roll-up socks tied together with a string. I find that just incredible. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, that's 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 the, that's the way a young boy does things, Jimmy. You get imaginary things, like for instance, uh, you had bat with 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 two outs at bottom of the ninth, and the long uh, fastball is coming, and you hit it out of park. I had no, I had nothing. My parents had nothing. We lived in a little shotgun house. My father worked for. A meat company called Kingins and Company. My mother did, did domestic work, and she also was became a beautician. So you had no money. You never had. You didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go to the fast food or markets, or I didn't go to to, to the restaurants, anything at all. You, all you had was uh, you ate ate dinner every night at home, whatever there was. Uh, most of the dinners and meals were meatless until the weekend. But you know, we, you know, I, as I say again, Jimmy, you know, sometimes you know you're so happy when you're involved in these things, you don't realize there, there's any other way of life. This is the way I was. Sure, I had imaginary baskets on a tree in front of my house. I'd take a sock ball or any kind of ball I could think of, and, and I shot hoops. Well, you know, it's an incredible uh, inspiration to these young people who are probably given everything today. I mean, you know, information is flowing quickly. They, they, they know everything that goes on. They're wired up to all the stuff that's going on around the world. Everything of a person sneezes in Greece, it affects what goes on in America. And there you were. You know, I mean, you're the greatest basketball player of the century, and you were introduced to the trade with a pile of rag balls and an imagination. I just feel that today a lot of people just don't get it. They don't appreciate what it takes to have the type of uh, dedication that you showed just through that at a very early age. Well, I, I think what happens, Jim, is that life has changed quite a bit. When I started playing basketball, I went in the park and played, and they had police officers there on the system called a PAL club, the Police Athletic League, to monitor and make sure everything was right. You, you know, in, in, any, in any community, any, any atmosphere where you live, where if you have no money, you have a lot of young boys that you gravitate to sports. I've played all sports. And this is where we played basketball, we played football and baseball as well. Now today, in, in, in our world we live in today, uh, the AAU is king, where they get elite kids. They don't usually go to the city and get a, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, inner city kids. The, the little league baseball, they don't go to the city and get a lot of little lot, lot of inner city kids. What they do, they go to the suburbs because it involves money to a certain extent. Like for, like for instance, a friend of mine's son was involved in ice hockey, and man alive, he, the money he spent out on ice hockey and to travel to, to events to play was incredible. But young kids today, if you don't have money, uh, you don't have resources, and you're not in the right school system, it's very, very difficult to get involved in a situation where you can really go out and compete uh, on, on, on a competitive level. Now, you know, it, it's a security risk when you go to certain parts of the city to go out and play basketball or baseball or anything. Well, you know, I, I, I first of all, I agree with you. I think in order to even be recognized by these college programs, you really have to be in an AAU program uh, for, for basketball. And really what you do isn't necessarily just what you do in the school system, but it's also what you do outside the school system so you can show your competitive you know, uh, strengths against other kids who may be the elite players. So I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I find that, uh, I was reading so many things, um, about what people said about you. There's been so much 
so many so many shows and so many things written about you. You know, you read about you know Jerry West and John Havlicek saying that you were absolutely the greatest player that they ever played against. You know, you 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 read the comments that Lou Carnesecca says. He said, even though you knew where Oscar Robertson was going and what he was going to do, you just couldn't stop him. And and a lot of the things that that you know that people wrote was, you know, you were just a pure basketball player where a lot of the guys that followed you maybe had, you know, no-look uh, passes and things like that and between the legs and all the different kinds of stuff. But I grew up watching you play. I watched everything you did, you know, because you were with the Royals and you were at UC before that. And obviously I, was, I grew up in Cincinnati. You seem to have both not only the dedication and commitment, but you had a certain sense of underlying, I felt, anger. Uh, maybe that's the wrong term. I've known you so long, so I use that as maybe just you were just a fierce competitor, which is what all these people said about you. Well, that's true. You, I, I, th- I think that when you get involved with certain sports, uh, uh, you, you know, it's not quite anger. It's, it's just dedication to want to play. But I do, I, be- I do believe in football, you have to have a certain degree of anger to play football. I don't care what anyone says about what they think about playing the game, playing the game in a sportsman, sportsman-like way. I think you have to have some anger. Basketball is competitive. I wanted to win. I didn't want to get beat. You know, when you grow up, you play in the park when, when you're young. The older guys, they you better look coke, you better a cup of a nickel or so forth. They beat you all the time, and you and it and it just gets to you. Uh, no, you know, uh, anger. I could have been real anger, angry with, with some of the conditions that were that were around when I played, for instance. In high school, you, you you couldn't go here, you couldn't go there. You, uh, you know, they didn't even have a bus to ride to the school. Uh, you know, you played in in, in 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 gyms. You had to go outside the city because a lot of the city schools would not play you at first. You played way out into the counties and 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 areas and neighborhoods. But these were all all white neighborhoods where we played. But the city schools didn't want to play us at first. And the places you couldn't go, you couldn't go downtown to the restaurants. I never forget the first time we won a championship. We went downtown to this restaurant. In Indianapolis, first time I've ever been downtown Indianapolis. Other than catch the bus, I catch the train to go back to Nashville. I, mean, I just didn't go downtown because we, I knew, we knew, all the guys who were around us knew we, they didn't want blacks downtown in those days. And we didn't go down there. Well, how important um, was education to you at that time? Because you talk a lot about the positive impact that your high school teachers at Christmas Addicts High School and the college professors at the University of Cincinnati had on you. And, you know, I know that one of the reasons your dad relocated the family in Annapolis was to help you find, you know, uh, you and your two brothers a better education. What, what does that mean to you in, in terms of how the other kids look at education today as well? Well, it meant so much to me, uh, Jimmy, because uh, actually to begin with that first, when I first started to go to, well, the uh, Christmas at high school, there was no professional basketball per se. Other than watching the Globetrotters play a few times, who who were kings to all, uh, to not only to Af- African American kids but to all over the world, and and I just realized because people there that I, where I went to school were people who had doctorates but they couldn't teach in the white schools because of the because of the racial situation, and they impressed upon pressed upon us pressed upon us the value of education to get forward to go forward because. It, not only for Af- African American kids, but for everyone in the country, education was really pushed hard. A way to way to improve yourself, to become educated, go to school, learn how to make more money, and all these kind of things. And this is what I happened. My teachers in high school never mentioned basketball to me at all. Uh, they didn't. I mean, and I got came to the University of Cincinnati. I was graduated in the top ten percent of my class. You know, college to me was not difficult. 
I mean, I had a great background because of the teachers that, that and experiences I had at Christmas Attics High School. It was wonderful, and, and I always will, will will salute those teachers at Christmas Attics High School for preparing me in the right direction in order to go through college and not and not and not have difficulty, which I did not have at, at UC. Well, you know, one thing that impressed me, uh, and it was a quote out of your book, and 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 it speaks so much. It speaks volumes about your parents and how they raised you, and you know, uh, you know, your the quote that you share in your book is integrity depends on inner dignity, which is one thing that should never be compromised. I mean, clearly, your parents embodied that in you. They sounded incredible, like incredibly special people that gave you and your brothers everything they could, and they taught you well and protected you and gave you the support and knowledge that you needed. Uh, uh, I would assume that they were uh, unbelievable inspiration to you in your life. Well, they were indeed. Uh, they worked very hard. My mother, my mother, as I said, did some domestic work. She became a beautician. Uh, she, she wrote and sang religious songs. And they just, they just believed that, that, that no matter what happened, Jim, at the end, at the end there was always God. And they just felt that, that no matter how much you suffered, you know, that you're, 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 you would be eased at, at a certain time in life, even in death or sometimes before that. Uh, he had rules about playing basketball. He would, he would always tell me that if you don't keep your grades up to you, you and, and you, don't, you don't do the right things, you know, you're not going to play basketball. You don't run around with the wrong kids. You don't run around with gangsters and people that got involved with, although there weren't a lot of drugs in, but people who drank a lot. We, you don't run around with those people. You run around with good people. And this is what he instilled in us, you know. And so, therefore, you, when I started school, you know, I kept that with me all the time. My mother was very, very uh, uh, tough on us about going to school and studying all the time. So she, she, she didn't have the time to go oh, to school for PTA meetings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But she did say, hey, listen, if you don't do this right, my father said, if you don't do this right in school, and he, one thing, one rule my father had, he doesn't want to hear any any concerns from any teacher about me in school. He said, you're there to learn and to listen and obey the teachers. Which is great. Well, well, when we come things. back, we're, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'd like to talk about how that really prepared you for your parenting style and raising your girls. And uh, I should mention to our listeners, uh, you are uh, fortunate because you've had a long life with a very special woman, Yvonne, who I think the world of and know quite well, and I just want you to please give her my best. Uh, it's time for us to take a break. Uh, you're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould and my special guest, Oscar Robertson. Uh, this show is brought to you by Smartwater, Wild Things Gear, and Ad Space Mall Networks. Please stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink, too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. 
Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, and today I have a very special guest here with me, Oscar Robertson, known to his fans as The Big O. Oscar, before we broke, uh, you spoke a lot about how uh, your parents in, in, uh, instilled in you a special, I think, uh, integrity and, and dignity about how life should be led. And you talked a lot about school and about the inspiration that you got from some of your teachers and things. A lot of people, you know, uh, and a lot that we've talked to on the shows that we've had pre- previous to, to you as a guest, talk about hardships early on in life really make you stronger as a as a person if it doesn't kill you. Um, how did your early years really prepare you for your journey of becoming um, not just a great basketball player, I mean the greatest basketball player, but really your, your uh, parenting style and, and raising your girls? Well, you know, I think you have to be uh, sort of adaptable to the circumstances around you. I think the parents have to change with, with the environment and whatnot. But you know, I I just think you know I just try to do the same thing that my, my parents did, and I, and I, and my wife had did a tremendous job. Uh, also helping raise my kids because Jimmy, you know, I was away playing basketball a lot. But you know, you had to have certain rules and things that do's and don'ts. So she she was just very difficult on them as far as uh, she wanted she wanted them to dress nice. She wanted to be uh, be courteous to people. She wanted to to understand and respect the elders. She wanted to do well in school. And she didn't want them going out with the wrong kids, especially especially the wrong boys and things like that. You know, I mean, you get in with the wrong group and you, it causes you nothing but trouble. And but sometimes young people don't understand that. And I, I must say, you know, Jimmy, it's difficult when you have kids. You have kids, but sometimes you have to be like a little dictator to them, you know, because they don't understand until they get a little older. Once they get older, they understand why you did certain things. But sometimes early on, they they think you're the worst person in the world. <laughs> I often I often ask myself the question. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I wonder at what point in time in their life they're going to come back and say to me, you know what, Dad, thank you for being really tough on us because I think I go back and forth between being wanting to be their best friend and being a bit of a dictator, and I struggle with that. I'm sure every parent struggles with that because you, you know, and, and quite frankly, I would imagine having a father who was well-known like you, and obviously I've represented a lot of athletes throughout my life as one of my businesses and built many businesses, and, you know, I, I, uh, that, that has put my kids around a lot of well-known people. Uh, um, you know, I, I can tell you for sure my, seven, my 15-year-old was excited, you know, Luke, who you've met, uh, who's six seven and plays basketball, was going. Oh, I can't believe you have Oscar on your show today. I'm so excited about uh, hearing it. You know, I would assume 
that it was very difficult for that first boy who came to your house and knocked on the door to ask your daughter out for a date. What was that like? Well, you know, I mean, he was a nice young man. You know, he just came in and said he, who he was. I knew he was coming. And so I sat down and said, how are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? Where are you going to school? What do you want to do? And those kind of things. Didn't go into any hard, real details because I don't think my daughter was really that enthused about him. She, she just, he was a friend, and he asked me out for a date. It, you, you, don't, you don't really get into a conversation with them until you, you realize that they're serious about someone. You know, then then you start asking real serious questions. But but here 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 again, Jimmy, you have to be careful there also because you, you don't know how really serious they are until it, sometimes until it's too late, and then you, then you, you you try to make the best of a, of a situation, whatever it might be. Now you know when you your family moved to Indianapolis, um, you lived with an aunt for a while, and then your father found a house, and I, I know I read it didn't have indoor plumbing, and the roof was yeah. made of tar paper. And it was cold in the winter and, you know, so many things and gunshots at night. And you said that at that point in your life, you didn't really know that you were poor, that you were being discriminated against as an African-American. I mean, it really does say a lot about how your parents raised you. I do think uh, one of the great things that I read was really the very last sentence in the book. I mean, I I marked it because I wanted to ask you about it uh, at some point in time in the show. You talk about this country has had to fight and scratch for the slightest bit of understanding between blacks and whites. We've come so far. We still have so far to go. Uh, you are so right on about that, and I'd love to know how that has affected you, not just throughout your basketball career and the stuff you put up at early, but just on an everyday basis, how you, how you look at it when you deal with people. You know, I, I don't look at it any differently. I mean, I understand it's there, but I have so many wonderful friends, both both sides of the both sides of of the aisle, and I, I just think people sometimes uh, feel the same as I do. But they, you know, it, but it's not a personal thing, and, and it doesn't affect them the same way. Uh, it, 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 where I live in Cincinnati, you know, I, I look at things and I say, well, why does this happen? Why can't why why are there so many difficulties here and there and there with with our school system? Why are all the inner city schools having so much difficulty? You know, why, why is it when you go downtown uh, uh, to restaurants and, 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 and to banks, uh, you don't see a lot of, lot of, lot of African-American women walking around during the daytime? Uh, you know, there were young men working, you know. I, I, just, I just think when you, when, you, when you go through life and so many things happened to you so many years ago, you like to see some change, you know. Uh, the, change, the change has not come, you know, the Still, still, uh, we, 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 look at, we look at uh, cities and states around here, Jimmy, you know, city of Cincinnati, they, I just said this, they do 1.1% with, with, with African Americans. No, they, I agree. They, I, I felt, you know, Oscar, I felt so fortunate. In fact, uh, one of my earliest remembrances of meeting you was when I was shooting baskets in my backyard, and you were, I don't know if you remember it or not, yeah, but we were in North Avenue on Clinton Springs, and for some reason I was in trouble and confined to the house for a couple of weeks, and, and you came over to look at the house and visit, and I shot baskets with you on the side there. I think I was 15 or 16, whatever, but I, the most fortunate thing that could have ever happened to me was that I grew up in North Avondale. Uh, North Avondale was, you know, at that time, you know, my family was so fond of it when, when the when the community became integrated, and and it, and so many of my friends, 
You know, we never looked at color. We never, my father, you know, was, was taught us people are people. And, and, and I felt so fortunate to have grown up in a community, a neighborhood where, you know, we just felt comfortable with everybody. And uh, I think there's just so many communities in America and across the world where whether it's a religious difference or whether or not it's a color difference or gender difference, you know, these things become monumental or uh, just, just tantamount to, 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 to so many things that prevent people from really getting to know each other and being honest with each other. Because what you're all about, what I've learned about you and why we have such a good relationship, you're just very honest and very direct and you have unbelievable integrity. And I see that every time I talk to you and every time I deal with you. And I think that's the thing I wanted our listeners to really understand. It isn't just what you did on the basketball court because you did it with such great conviction. It's the purity of your character that, that rises above it all. Well, I, I, I think that, Jimmy, I'll say this. In your life, you meet, you meet, I think most people I've met are, are really great people. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't really know if I've met any real, real bad people on, 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 just on the social scene. But, but, but you, you know certain things happen. You read about certain things happening and whatnot. You, 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 read, you read, why does this happen? Why does this happen? And then you, you wonder sometimes, you know what I mean? I mean, sometimes, sometimes I think that we get involved in a situation about finances and, and sure, in, 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 in cities or in inner cities where there are a lot of African-American kids who are, who are, who are, who are, not, are not financial, they, they're, they're going to do, they're going to do crime. But this happens in, in the white neighborhoods as well. Not, not only not only in the, in the black neighborhoods, but we have to understand where we want to go as a country. Uh, you, you know, you know, in the next few years, you know, the, the nature of this country is going to change quite a bit. It's never going to be the same. And things you see on TV today with politicians, they say, "Well, you know, I thought this this race of people are lazy and, and they don't do this or that." But you know, you know, I never forget the first time. First time I, I, I joined the army, I joined the army on television at halftime of a basketball game. Hmm. Guy said, "Why did I do it?" He said, "Well, I said, you know, I said, I said, I'm like everybody else. I, I have to serve the country." And you know, this is a black friend of mine. He couldn't understand that. But you know, <laughs> but you live in a country, you know, and, and you, you're safe, and you and you grow up, even though sometimes things happen you don't like. But it still is the best country. But 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 the thing that bothered me about his conversation is that he didn't feel that. Why is it that a person uh, who grew up here and lives here and enjoys all the things everyone else does, why does, why does, why does he feel that way? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, that, that's the inspiring part of how you look at life. You're very, you're very real, and, and what you're pointing out is in front of us. The global state of our lives is really what you're referring to, and that we're going to have to be, find our way to the middle. Uh, let me ask you, as I look back on really the beginning of your basketball life, uh, there's an empty lot near your home that the neighborhood kids turn to, and that you call it the Dust Bowl. Uh, yes. You know, you uh, share a little bit of your memory with the Dust Bowl and the courts at Lockfield Gardens and the local YMCA, and maybe the first time your your mom brought you home your very special gift for Christmas, which was a basketball. What did that gift mean to you? And what were some of those? What, what was probably your fondest memory from those days? Well, you know, the, the dust bowl, the, there, was, there was a house that was torn down in the neighborhood right up the street from us, and we put a hoop up, and it was all dusty. Man, it never got so dusty sometimes. It was just very difficult to even play a dribble or handle a ball. But luckily for us, uh, in, in, in the housing uh, complex called Lockfield, there was an asphalt court, and they called that the dust bowl, although it was, but it was asphalt, it, was, it had an asphalt base, 
and this is where all the guys went to play eventually. As a matter of fact, I did not live in Lockfield, so it was a little something, a little contentious for a little bit until we went over there, and and all because the guys on our street were great athletes, and we did very well in well as football, baseball, basketball, or whatever. And then, for, but the first thing about me one one year, uh, I don't know how old I was. I must have been seven, eight years old. You know, you know, I, I, my mother says, Oscar, I got something for you. And she brought me this basketball. It was not a new basketball. She, she got it for me. It was a great thing for me, Jimmy, because, man, I was so happy about that. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I can imagine that. Actually, I hope my son is listening to this, so maybe he takes better care of the basketballs that are outside at the property. So let me talk to you about... Christmas Addicts High School Basketball. I mean, you win two state high school basketball championships. One was undefeated with a 45-game winning streak. The first state championship win for any all-black school in the nation. Is that really where your basketball and you took off? I mean, was that really where it happened? I know in your senior year, you were named Mr. Basketball of Indiana in 1956. I, I think in Indiana, playing basketball, yes, when you're, when you're successful there, the world knows about it, especially in and around Indiana. Uh, we were very fortunate. We had a very good basketball team, and, and you know, and, and, and being, being an all-black team, Jimmy, you had to you had to make sure you did, we couldn't talk to referees mm-hmm. and say anything to other players. We had to be we had to maintain our dignity and be gentlemen at all times on the court. We had a coach who insisted on that. And he said, if you don't do these things, you will not play for me. And we and he, and he meant it. So we, we never said anything on the court. This went out and things went bad for us. Bad calls. We didn't say a word. We just kept right on playing, and I think that endured ourselves to people around the country who said, "Boy, these guys are real good sportsmen." You know, they, they, people didn't stand new. They knew when their bad calls were being made. Uh, you know, they, they knew when things were not going right. You know, you know, and you know, we were like any other team. We had our ins and outs. You know, but nobody knew anything about it. We kept it within our team. Our coach did a great job with that. But yeah, basketball at Christmas Addicts High School propelled me in, into a, into a national national stage. You know, really. And it really helped me get into college. Uh, uh, Educational-wise, I could have gotten into college, but I didn't have the money. What made you choose um, uh, uh, University of Cincinnati? It's a strange thing. I wanted to go to Indiana University really bad. And Branch McCracken just crapped all over me, to be honest. I went down to see Branch McCracken, and and he, first of all, my coach took me down, Jimmy and um, he kept me waiting for like 45 minutes before he even came in to see us. He, the, the secretary took us into his office. He didn't come in. And then he, came, he comes in, and he says, the darnest thing I, I, I'd ever heard in my life. He said, I know you're not a type of kid who wants money to go to school. Well, Jimmy, I'm, I was so stupid and naive. I didn't, know, I didn't know kids got money to go to college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I left, and... and uh, I left, walked out. You know, he never called back again because I think Brad McCracken had four black guys on his team. He didn't want a fifth one. That's uh. what I really think was, what it was all about. And, a, and, and, a, and to, to embellish on his story a little bit, as I go into UC, I tell George Smith this story. George Smith and Branch McCracken were roommates in the Navy together. Unbelievable. George Smith was the coach of Cincinnati that I played for. Well, you go to UC... You averaged 33.8 points per game, the third highest in college history. Each year there, you receive a national scoring title. You three-time All-American. You're chosen College Player of the Year. You set 14 NCAA and 19 school records while leading the Bearcats to a 79-9 record in the university's first two Final Four appearances. 
you know, and then Cincinnati builds an eight-foot bronze statue in front of the university in 1994. I would assume that that guy probably is the uh, biggest mistake he ever made, huh? Me? No, the biggest mistake the McCracken ever made. Oh, he doesn't think it was a big mistake at all. I mean, this is this this is this is this is the way things were in those days. You know, uh, these guys were you know you, 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 they they were they were they were so worried about race and things, but they wanted to win. You know, right. the thing about it, they were not going to win unless they got black ball players. Right. But but yet and still, he he. I think that he that uh. I mean, I did, I never knew Brad McCracken before until I met him. He never knew anything about me. Maybe he didn't like the way. Maybe he didn't like it because I was I was a good, good a great basketball player. Maybe that's what he didn't like. I never know. But I know that he had four black guys on his team, and I would have been the fifth, which would have meant a problem to rumor with somebody. And and for some strange reason, I think that's the reason. But uh, you know, man, where it worked out is fine. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes fate uh, dictates what what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, you you ended up right where you needed to be. Let me ask you, what was probably your single fondest memory of playing for the University of Cincinnati? I, I enjoyed I enjoyed uh, both the ups and downs at Cincinnati, and and the more than anything, I enjoyed get enjoyed getting my degree from the University of Cincinnati because it was it, it was a big thing in my life for so so many years. Uh, going to going to college, going to school, going to get a, get a degree. I actually was the first one in my family to get a college education. And to me, although I, 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 I attained a lot of success in basketball, but that didn't bother me. But going to school and getting that degree, that meant a lot to me. Well, you go on to co-captain the U.S. basketball team at the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome and win a gold medal. What was that experience like? You know, there are certain things in life that you never will forget. And, and going, going, going to win in the gold medal, I'll never forget because uh, you have to be born in the right year in order, in order to win that, win that gold medal. And, and I was born in the right year. I went out and worked out for the team. And you have to understand in those days, it's not like it is now where they just pick ball players, certain ball players to play in the Olympics. I went and tried out in Denver in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, a week of basketball to, to make the Olympic team, and that's how I made it. But, you know, it's amazing that you don't really think about gold medal and things until you, you get much older. That, and how fortunate I was to be able to play for, for, for the country. And at the time I won the gold medal, I didn't think this. I mean, I just have to say, we, we won another basketball game and I got a gold medal for it. I played in the Olympics. But as I got older, I realized the importance of it and how it can impact on other people and your family as well. How they, they can take pride in, in that, that kind of thing because now you, you, you don't have young kids like Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Boozer, Walt Bellamy, Jerry Lucas, they don't have the opportunity to do that anymore because the things have all changed. Well, you go on and you sign professionally with the Cincinnati Royals. Uh, I assume that was a dream come true. And your bonus at the time uh, was uh, was actually at that time a lot of money, which obviously compared to today was not, which I know is, is something we've talked about. But it was $33,000. What did you do with the money when you got the signing bonus? Well, actually... Actually, it was a ten thousand dollar bonus. <laughs> Let me tell you, my first year, uh, I, I didn't hardly make any money, Jimmy, because my mother had, had some debt piled up, and I had to pay it. Wow! And so, so I paid, I paid to pay the paid the debt off, and actually, I lived lived on like oh maybe eight eight or nine thousand dollars <laughs> the first year. <laughs> wow! 
well, your, mother had, your mother had to be awful proud of you at that point well, in time. I mean, listen, she, she had problems. I didn't realize it. You know, she, you know, she, she, my mother and father got a divorce. Hey, you know, things happen. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I was glad I was able to do it. You know, I mean, you know, but I, you know, no, but people think that you know, oh gosh, he's doing so, he's doing all these wonderful things, doing this and doing that. But you know, they have to, they have to look, they have to look at look look at the other page sometimes and read a little bit and find out what it, what it's really all about. Well, I, that I agree with. I think that uh, I oftentimes tell the the players that I represent, you know, when they get in the end zone, act like you've been there before. Oh, Lord, uh, yeah. You know, and and during your era when you played, I mean, you just played. You know, you didn't have any crazy celebrations and different things like that. I just think that, you know, I, it, that what really gets to me is when a team is losing in football, and a guy makes a sack or a tackle, and all of a sudden he starts jumping around all over the field, and the team's losing. I mean, to you, you were a, a true leader of the team. I mean, you're the only player in the history, I believe, of the entire NBA that led. Uh, with a triple double, isn't that true? That's true. That happened in a few in all my early early career with the State of Royals. And to be honest, Jimmy, I didn't even really know I was doing that. You know, they they did, as a matter of fact, they didn't keep a lot of stats. They had to go back in the, in, the, in the archives and and get that all out because uh, it, it was it's a tremendous honor. I'm very proud of, it, but I really didn't know I was doing it because really, you look at look at the all time shot blockers in the NBA. They never mentioned Bill Russell or Wilt Chamberlain because they didn't keep the stats when they played. Well, that's true, except I was thinking about it the other day because I really was going to ask you this question um, as before we get into the, the Milwaukee situation. But if you had to take your top five players of all time, would you do that for me? Well, I don't including you, pick, by the way. So, time. You know, you got, you got to go with Russell and Chamberlain. Uh, you got to go with uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, Elgin Baylor, Jerry West, uh, Bob Pettit, uh, uh, you know, players like that, I guess. But would uh, Magic be in that list? Yeah, he, he would be, he, he'd slide into Top the list. Top 10? Well, I don't know, he'd slide into the list, but you know, he, you know, when you see it all the time, you know, uh, there were some other great basketball players that, you know, that is just unbelievable what they did. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I mean, well, hell, one year, Rick Barry averaged 30, what, six, seven points a game. You know, exactly. You know, that, you know, so, so there are a lot of great basketball players. It's difficult to pick a, a top five, but you know, I guess. But I guess, you, I guess, sports writers and ESPN people will do that eventually, which is what they've done anyway. And I, you know, I, I think that they have put basketball into, into a situation where it's, it's a highlight game. Do you, you, know? you get sick of hearing who was better, you or Michael Jordan? Oh no, Michael Jordan was a great basketball player. You know, it, you know, I mean, it, it, it doesn't bother me because I know what I did on the court. You know, I, mean, I, I know what I accomplished on the court, uh, 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 and I know what Michael Jordan accomplished on the court. He, he I won one championship. They might have won six or seven, but you know, and in order, in order to win a championship, Jimmy, if you if you look at look at our, our, our teams we have here in Cincinnati, you have to have great management because great management has to put together a, a good. Starting five, and also uh, starting nine, eleven, and also a good bench. And, and this didn't happen in Cincinnati when I was here. They, did, they, they didn't worry about putting together a good bench. They, did, they, didn't, they didn't know what to do about getting a good bench. And you, and you look at look at the football and the baseball team. You know, you know they, they don't. You're not going to win with the starters you have on the field. You got to have football. Somebody gets hurt. Somebody twists this. You know, someone doesn't play well. You got to have people coming in all the time and playing well. That's how you win. 
Let me ask you, in 1970, you get traded to the Bucks for Milwaukee, <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks. A lot of people in Cincinnati are upset with the Royals coaching staff. Uh, although it was a negative thing, you know, for the Royals, you actually ended up getting the better end of the deal with Milwaukee and took the Bucks to four straight playoff appearances and their only NBA championship in 1971. How did that all affect you? You know, Jimmy. You know, I look when it happened. I was very upset about it because not not for being traded. I was upset because the the, the inquiry came out with a story, and I guess it was fed by the Royals and also Bob Cousy and people who was trying to move the team to Kansas City that hadn't done anything. That you know that you know that I hadn't done anything at all. All I did, Jimmy, was make the make the top five All Pro every year for ten straight years. But but. But the papers said I hadn't done anything. That really bothered me that, that they they come out and attack me after all I after all I'd done for Cincinnati. I mean in college and also with the pros. But they would come out and do that. But that's what bothered me more than anything. That does uh, there's so many I mean I, I listed uh, it went on forever, the amount of awards you've won on and off the court. Is there any one in particular that stands up more than others? Not not really. You know, you know, I was I was player of the century but but the little trophy, it looks so, looks so dull and, un, and un, 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 unimaginative. You know, it, it well, where'd you put it in your house? Yeah, it, it's just there someplace. But, but people <laughs> see it, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know if it, it would be a play of the year, play of the century award at all. <laughs> they wouldn't think anything about it. But, you know, I don't know. You know, Very I guess there's different stages. Uh, I was Mr. Basketball in Indiana, and I won a gold medal and, and, uh, and uh, you know, won, won a championship. But, you know, I went in the Hall of Fame. Like, I'm happy that I'm in all the Hall of Fames. That there that there are for for, for for basketball. That mean that means something to me also. It means a lot. So, so you know the uh, uh, I'm curious about one thing. When you run in or ran in first time to Kobe or LeBron or some of those people, what were they like in meeting you? Oh, well, you know, uh, I met Kobe when he was younger. Uh, met Jordan after after he had played a while. You know, you know they have a, they have a little arrogance about them. You know what not because. You know, you know, they look at you playing basketball. Sometimes they don't, they don't, they had, didn't see you play. They don't think much of you as a basketball player. You know, it's, it's just the money, the money is so big, Jimmy, with some of these players today. It is overwhelming to them, and you know, and what they're doing. And, and so, uh, you know, you say hello, you know, and that's about it. Do you feel that this entire lockout that uh, did occur and has obviously ended, and you used to be head of the players' union? Um, uh, and really were responsible, your court case, and really the whole free agency system. Uh, and I commend you for that because uh, you changed the game. How do you feel this is ever going to get straightened out between big market and small market teams? It's not going to get straightened out, Jimmy, because that's the way they, that's the way the beast is. Big markets, well, they want championship teams to bring in the people. Small markets want championship teams, but they don't want to pay for it. Great players don't want to go to the small markets. You look at the Cincinnati Bengals. Would you rather come to Cincinnati or go to go to New York? Well, that's or go that's to true. Chicago. Even though Chicago hasn't won any more than Cincinnati, and unless they have won a couple more, but you listen, what's the way it is today? I mean, it seems to me that 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 when you when you come to come to when you start talking about basketball and what lockout today, they worry so much about the small markets. I guess this is what goes on in. <laughs> In the business world today, you take some union organizations, Jimmy, they're not worried about the elite guy who comes there and he puts his time in, and he's a perfectionist, and he gets his done job, he gets his done hour, weekly and monthly. 
they worried about a guy who comes in, he, he might have to, have to take off, and he, 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 he's not doing the right thing, he comes in late. That's who they worry about, and that's the wrong thing to do. But, but big markets today are, are, the, are the dominant ones. They, they keep the TV, TV people working. When, when television wants to, wants to uh, broadcast a New York Yankee game, they know they're going to draw so many people to watch them. If they, if they put a Kansas City in, they're not going to draw that many people. Well, you're right about it. Uh, there, the, there is uh, a lack of balance. I think, I think the NFL has somewhat straightened some of that out. It's not a hard cap, but uh, you at least have uh, a number of teams that still fight by the end of the year, which I think is uh, at least makes the game more interesting. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your community involvement, your businesses you've formed. Uh, it's really been an honor to be able to share your, the journey with, uh, with you, Oscar. And um, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jimmy Gould, your host uh, with A Current Life and with our guest, Oscar Robertson. The show is brought to you by Smart Water, Wild Things Gear, and Mall Space Ad Network. Stay tuned. Thank you. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info. The stove, the refrigerator, all the pots and pans. The sink? Sure, take the kitchen sink too. Yeah, pretty much everything in the kitchen I could live without if I had to. Except, of course, my Keurig Brewer. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder your Keurig Brewer is the favorite thing in your kitchen. Visit Keurig.com for more info. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to uh, uh, our show with Oscar Robertson, uh, known as The Big O. And uh, Oscar, in this segment, we really talk about the meaning of life and what happened? Uh, you've been such an incredible inspiration on the court. I want to talk a little bit about your adventures off the court, uh, particularly starting with your community involvement with uh, the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Well, I, you know, something I thought about a lot, uh, Jim, over the years, because uh, when I came up, I, you know, had the local YMCA where I could go and swim and interact with other young young boys and whatnot, play ball and whatnot. I, I just think the Boys and Girls Club of America is, is, is one of the outstanding organizations in the country, and they're doing so much, so much to help young people 
especially in big cities where you don't have parks, you don't have playgrounds, you don't have the types of things, you don't have the security you have where a young person can go out and play ball. Today there's so much, so much crime element out there, just unbelievable. But, but the Boys and Girls Club of America has done a tremendous job. I'm happy to be associated with them. Well, you've been involved in also many business ventures, many successful business ventures. Just to list a few, Fade Away, the Stain Remover Wipes, Oscar Robertson Solutions, Orchem, the chemical manufacturer, Oscar Robertson Media Ventures, uh, you know, uh, and we've certainly been involved in looking at a number of businesses. I know you've traveled the world, China and, and Africa and different places like that. How did you make the transition really from playing ball to being an entrepreneur and a businessman in the business world. And what are some of the things that you really would like to focus on uh, well, in the next few minutes? Well, Jimmy, I'm still making that transition. What, <laughs> we, what, we, what we have right now, we have a chemical company. We have a facilities management company that we're involved with right now. And what, we want, it's what we're doing right now, you know, we want to get those, make those kinds of things grow because we feel that we can do a tremendous job some of the corporate entities of the world. It's not easy, easy, I must tell you, because, you know, eventually, eventually, major corporations <laughs> come in to compete against us. We're such a small company, it, it, it's devastating sometimes. But, you know, we understand that. We know how the game is played, so we're going to stay in there and fight it, fight, fight until, until the end. Uh, but, but this is what we're doing now with our, with our specialty chemical company, that's Orkin, and our facilities management company, which is, uh, which is OR Solutions. Well, your products are great. I, I remember when you first brought the fadeaway to me, and I oh. remember remember dumping that on somebody's yeah. sweater. I think I, I you told me I could dump anything on the sweater that wasn't mustard. And I walked up to one of my associates, and I think it was ketchup that I used, and then that fadeaway took it right away. So, I mean, you've had some very interesting involvement with different products, and you've traveled around the globe. Uh, am I correct? You've been that you were one of the first people to go over to China, right? Yes, with basketball. That's correct. We were first basketball. Uh, group to go over there and play, and and uh, and as you're kind of looking out, do you feel our global environment and our economic situation once we get our politicians out of the way will maybe get a little better over the next few years? Jimmy, I think that if the politicians got out of the way, if you look at how how important the Olympics are to the world, how it brings people together um, and to compete in, and for friendship. If our politicians got out of the guy out of the way, I don't think it would be at all a problem. So I guess people would, if they could want to compete on the field for honor, or for, 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 for bragging rights, then they would do that. But this, is, this thing down today, you know, you, you, you can't go here, you can't go there. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know. I mean, you talk to people that they're so friendly that when people you meet, it is unbelievable. But when you talk to politicians, it's just the opposite. Well, I, you know, I said on the last show that uh, we ought to probably vote everybody out of office and start over and have term limits on people and stop letting them campaign while they're in office because clearly we don't have a business environment. It's affecting particularly people like yourself and myself and who build businesses. You know, we need all the help we can get right now because we're up against so many other markets. And as you said, every day you fight up against big corporations who get big tax breaks. So uh, I certainly understand. And, and, you know, you're an inspiration and we're an inspiration on the court and and you are off the court as well so let me ask you who would you say or what would you say was your wow moment in your life professionally and personally something that just hit you and you knew what you wanted to do and you kind of knew you know where you were headed was there a particular moment or event or thing that happened no you know i tell you just just being able to travel around uh jim and meet meet 
dignitaries and, and, and rulers of countries of all over the world and, and to know how powerful they are and know that you're in that company and, uh, and to really, really see how they, how they act and how they react to people. Uh, that, that, meant, that meant so much to me to be able to do that, to be able to travel a bit because coming up, I, I was never able to go anywhere other than Indianapolis to Tennessee to see my grandparents. But I, I, think, that, I think every young person, uh, every young person should, should, should be able to travel maybe to China, to Africa, to Norway, just one time, just once or twice in their life to see other people, see how they live. Because a lot of kids today in, these, in their schools and whatnot, they don't go anywhere at all. They never go to the White House. They never go down. They never, they never get get to see the CEO at Procter and Gamble or at Westinghouse. They don't get to see these people at all. And I think I think it's wrong to do. Well, as I often ask everybody, and it maybe sounds simplistic, I've had answers of all kinds. As you look back on your journey, I've asked each of our guests over the last thirteen weeks, what do they feel is the meaning of life in a much more spiritual way? What would you What would your answer be? <laughs> I, I think, Jimmy, everybody's here for a purpose, and you've got to figure it out. Why are you here on earth? You're not here just, just to, to walk around and, or to go to church or, or go socialize with people. I, I think you're here for a reason, and, and you know, you've got to figure it out. And, and I'm still trying to figure out why I'm here on earth, because, because I'm involved in some things, and sometimes they're successful, and sometimes they aren't. But I got, so I haven't figured it out yet. But but I think you're here for a purpose. I don't think you're just here just just because you were you, you were born uh, to a, a mother and father, and then you know you don't have anything to say, to say about it. No, I think you're here for a reason, and you got got to figure it out and, and get yourself going in that direction. Well, I, th- I do think it's all about knowledge. I do think it's all about learning. I do think it's all about figuring out what it's all what what your purpose is. I agree with you. I I've always felt this kindred spirit with you. It's why I'm so fond of you. And and I guess I would ask you to give some advice to our younger listeners because we have a lot of them that aspire to follow their dreams in life and and become successful with, with you. Is there one thing in particular that you could offer them? I would tell them to study the most difficult thing there is in college. I try to go to Rochester Institute of Technology. I would study Chinese and all foreign languages because the, America is going in that direction. We're not going to be the same country we had we were, were years ago, where where everyone got were able to go to well, General Motors or Ford and get a job, or go go here and get a job. Those things are gone forever. Well, I you know in your in your book, I think I read. Um... Uh, that uh, there was a quote that your mother would share with you and your brothers. It was kind of her way of summarizing a complicated passage from the Bible from Matthew twenty-five fifteen, where she said, God gave three men a talent. The first one threw it away and the birds ate it. The second man put his in the sun and it melted. And the third man took care of his. The Lord will give you more if you take care of what he gave you. But there's no doubt about that. I, I, I think I think when you're successful in doing something, you know, you can, you can do things. But but Jimmy, you know as well as I do. I I, I realize that in in America today, you know, and 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 being 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 an African American entrepreneur, you know, it's a, it's it's about about the money. If if I'd had a little more money, I could have done a lot more things, bought a lot of different companies and whatnot. But you don't have it, so you don't you don't have it. So I don't worry about that. I, I try to go with what I have and get it done from 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 my from my standpoint. This, this is a great country. Uh, there 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 are a lot of opportunities, but a lot of people are in the way of those opportunities. You got to get go around them, over the top of them, and underneath them, any way you can to get there. But she's right about that. You know, a lot of people 
You know, they, they, they're not they're not aggressive. You know, they 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 want to stay within their own confines of their of their community and the city of the state. I think the world the world is is out there for everybody. You know, we have to take advantage of. It. We don't we don't often do that. I don't often do that, but I'm starting to do that a lot more now. Well, uh, that actually leads me to my final question: Is what's next in your career, and what are you currently working on? Well, we're working on the company now with our, with our, with, with, the, with the chemicals and also the facility management, which I think we're about to we're about to get into some huge, huge contract. But I, I want to do some work in Africa and in, in some of the African countries. I'm talking to some people right now about about selling them some food, selling them some 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 fax copy machines, and also selling them some chemicals. So that's what I'm doing right now, you know. And I think that that you look look at look at the uh, uh, countries to the south. We don't, we never a lot of times when you when you're when you're a small company you don't get the opportunities to go see these people. But fortunate for me, I met people over the last four, five, six years. I'm able to see and meet these people, and I'm I'm, I'm gonna try to take advantage of it. Well, I can tell you from the time we've spent together, I recommend to all of our listeners that they figure out some way to be involved with your businesses and with you. You're, uh, you're, uh, if we could clone you, I would do it in a second because we need more of you in this world. Uh, you're a man of the highest integrity. You're a dear friend. I appreciate the time that you gave us today because I know you're getting ready to get on an airplane and travel, and uh, I want to thank you for being on the show. Jim, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning into A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, signing off. And please join us next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope, inspiration, and success. Oscar, thank you for your friendship. Great. Thank you, Jimmy. Take care. Travel safe. Yes. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week. When I got my Keurig Brewer, I loved it so much I decided to name it. The right name had to fit my many sides, from the bold, dark roast side to the soft herbal tea side. I landed on Freddy. Yeah, Freddy. It works for me. Who doesn't love their Keurig Brewer? It can brew the perfect cup of coffee, tea, and hot cocoa with just the touch of a button. All without a fuss and so little mess or cleanup. With over 250 varieties to choose from, it's no wonder people actually name their Keurig Brewers. Visit Keurig.com for more info.